church. Can we stand for a moment, turn around, give somebody a high five, an elbow, or even a Glasgow kiss, whatever you prefer. Clara, get the music on. Could you just take a minute or two to chat to somebody and make them feel welcome? It might be the last chat they get this Christmas. We're just giving the parents a minute to get back. Hello. Thanks, Alan. Top man. You could be an engineer one day, Alan. <laughs> one, one day in heaven. You know, when the Holy Spirit prompts you, you must obey. You can't, you, you, you're faced with a yes or no in every moment. At four o'clock this morning, I was prompted to send that song to a young man who was a teenager on the neighbor's TV show. How many times when God asks you to do something, you feel like a prune, but I, I sent it anyway. He just texted me back and said that the very first time he was asked to sing live on television at 13 years of age to one million people, he sang the song, I want to know what love is. Give it up for God, guys. We're going to have fun this morning. We're beginning this Christmas, the Christmas, you know, uh, series. And uh, I want to take us, you know, in, in Luke's gospel, he writes this brilliant thing. He says, a lot of people have tried to write this story, 
but I'm going to write it also. And I feel that's how I feel coming to preach this morning because you don't want to hear the same old. You know the story of my heart. You want another edge. You want, you want something that you could, you want to take away. You want something you could take away that potentially could transform the best and worst moments of your whole life. And that's what kept me all awake all night thinking, how do I get an edge on this sword this morning? And how do I bring an angle that you may never have heard before, although you may have? And so the reason I played that song is for a couple of reasons. And one is that the nativity story is brilliant and how much it leads to joy and silent night. It starts off with the drama of pain and suffering. And, uh, you know, the lyrics in this song put that across well. And, um, and it starts with a couple of people we'll read about in a moment in Luke 1. And it starts with a wee woman who's feeling in disgrace. She's in great, great pain because she can't have a burn. And then it goes to another wee woman who doesn't want a burn even because she's not even married. <laughs> it's just brilliant. And, um, but I want us to address in a moment the pain in the father's heart which was the motivation behind the nativity story. And, and so, 40 years of beautiful ministry dealing with people's pain, I've almost put a list in my mind of the level of pains. So any kind of loss is a pain. Any kind of rejection is a pain. Any level of somebody turning on you is a pain. And I'm getting to what I believe, I've put my flag down and what I personally, you'll have other angles on it, what is the greatest pain and suffering that was behind God coming up with the nativity story. So, so the, um, the pain of someone you love turning on you is like no other pain. The pain, we're going up a level now, guys. By the way, it gets a wee bit joyful in a minute. Hang in there, all right? Don't switch off your iPad just yet, George. So, 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 when the person you walk down the aisle with you turns on you, that's a whole other level of pain. When you cannot have a child and you're desperate for one, that's a level of pain. But here's what I believe the mother of all pains is for a human being. When you as a mother or father have been responsible for bringing a child into this world and giving it the very best you can possibly do, and the child turns on you, there is no pain like it. And everybody experiences that at some point. And I, the, what kept me awake was, God, people don't know. We, 
we don't know what to do with this pain, where to dump it, and very often we dump it on the person closest to us, because the, not the, the Bible, but the, the, the line goes, you always hurt the ones you love, because you know what else to put your pain. And so, I'm going to put an angle on the nativity story I've never done before. My hunch is that the nativity story is an absolute masterclass on what to do in the moment when your greatest pain shows up. That you don't have to wake up the next morning in the worst place. And my aim today is somehow to bring a message and a revelation that there is a way in the moment of the greatest of pain where you don't have to die, but you could thrive. And so when the Father looks down, when he's looking down on this nativity coming moment, he's in the greatest of pain. Because the Bible says that every one of his kids he was responsible for has turned on him. Hey, when one turns on you, it's a killer. Imagine when the whole earth. Because Isaiah says, for all alike have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Street talk, everybody that he gave his best shot to has turned on him. Feel the pain. Feel the pain. How many fathers would go, right, I've given you everything I could give you, Lindsay. I'm trying to say this with Christian language, eh? Your backside's out the window. I'm finished with you. You're goosed. And he had every right to wipe us off the face of the earth. So when God, the Father himself, is in the moment of the most extreme pain, what does he do? He sends the game changer. He enters himself and he puts his game changer in a manger ultimately in the hands of the ones who've turned on him. Worth. Is there a greater nativity message, I'm sure there is, than the way to respond to the greatest of pain is to step up and deliver the greatest love you could possibly come up with. That's what the Father, that's what the Father, that's what the Father, and that put a whole new scene on the nativity story for me. And so we're going to go into Luke in a moment, and, um, and I pray that we could walk out of here learning how to flip the moment of pain and never let it sink us ever again, how to flip it in a moment into a moment of glorious joy. And I think the song gets as close to the answer. Because I'm convinced the people who spend their life most offended, most angry, most bitter, have not got a clue what love is. And my hunch is the father was thinking if I could just get them somehow to know what love is.
I mean true love. Alan spelled it out in his great grace message, and then Jill and others followed it up. If we today could get a revelation of what was going on in the Father's heart, and learn the master class principle he was operating in. I promise you, it will flip every potential and perceived moment of pain and suffering that could come your way. Can we put our hands together and applaud the Lord Jesus Christ on that? And so we're gonna go, I'm gonna go, to Luke 1, and as I went to Luke 1, I thought, if I was in the Father's place looking down on this bunch of chancers, I, I wouldn't trust my car to them for the weekend. Truly, maybe half an hour, but no, for the weekend. But he trusted you and me with the destiny of his helpless babe in the manger. And I don't know how to convey this, so I ask you to pray under your breath, help me get this across, because I'm seeing something I've never seen before. And I'm feeling something I never felt before. Because on the eve of Elmer's 70th birthday, on Tuesday, we're getting ready to celebrate. You know what it happens. Herod is still alive. The Herod loves to shop when you're about to have your, your moment of joy. Your Christmas dinner, your holidays, your wee baby. A wee text came through. Let's just say it was a killer text. It had the potential, but I want us to go to this brilliant, brilliant. Please, if you don't have a minute to read anything in the Bible, read Luke 1 between now and Christmas. Even if you read it every day. There's 25, you could read one a day for December, but can we just take a couple of minutes to just parachute down into this scene of mind-blowing events. Because you just heard it sung so much, we just go, aye, 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 a wee angel. No, 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 no. We're talking about an angel. Not only shows up, but talks. Not only talks, but tells you what's about to happen. If that's no rock and roll, George... So many have undertaken, the Bible says, to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled, just as they were handed down to us, Luke 1. With this in mind, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, and I've decided to write my orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus so that you may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. And so, in a moment, we're going to introduce a wee woman or man. The Bible says they're blameless. So, it says everybody's blown it, but he managed to find a wee woman and her man that are blameless. They haven't blown it. But as soon as he tells them something good, they completely blow it. <laughs> He must have thought, why did I tell them? Why the heck did I bother telling them? They were doing well. And so, watch it. See if you could catch it when we walk through it. In the name, in the time of King Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife 
Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So finally he finds a man and a woman that were blameless. They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by law according to the custom of the priesthood to go. Try picture this as we go along, guys. Try dive in the picture because it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It doesn't matter if you read a hundred times, it's unbelievable. And when the time of burning incense came, they were all together praying outside. They're all dying to hear what's going on, what's going to happen there, a full week. Then an angel of the Lord appears to him, stands at the right side. And when Zechariah saw that angel, he was gripped with fear. But the angel says to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer's been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're delighted to call him John. He'll be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth, because he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He's not to take wine or fermented drink, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. He'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. So God is just leading us up to the delivery of his love bomb. And your son will go before the Lord in the spirit and power Elijah, turning the hearts of the parents and the fathers to the son. Zechariah just couldn't resist blowing it. He says, eh, how can I be sure about this? You know, that's one thing never ever to say to your wife's guys. Because she try to tell you something. Just, just go with the flow even, you know, because if you say, how can I be sure about this? You know, you're, you're goosed. I'm an old man and my wife as well, along in years. She's an old codger as well. They just said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you the good news. And now, zip it. Now, zip it. So, I love, I just love the Bible. It just, it just gives you the whole deal, eh? They're blameless. Two minutes later, they get good news, and he's completely blown it. So, see, from now on, zip it. And you will be silent, and you'll not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at a pointed time. All the people are buzzing, how much longer is he going to be in there? And they're dying to hear what, something's gone on, but he come out. And he's up, he's up, he can't, he's trying to do. You try to do hand signals when you've never done them before. And so, Elizabeth is born, and then the, an angel appears once again to Mary. Again, Mary was in pain for the opposite reason. She's not ready to have child yet. And she's troubled. She's in pain. She's not quite ready to have a child out of wedlock. But God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. 
And he just does things in the most mind-blowing, crazy ways. And when God asks you to do a crazy thing sometimes, you just have to do it. And every single minute, every day, God wants to bring miracles. His love is so strong on you. He wants you to be the game changer. His son was sent as a game changer to come into life so we could be the game changers. I walked into the post office sorting office yesterday, and a young man standing there covered in tattoos. I said, be honest with me, son. How much did your tattoos cost? He said, 10,000 pounds because my whole top half is covered. I said, I recognize your face. You used to be the goalkeeper for Dunfermline Athletic. And he said, yes. And I remember you came to see me in the hospital. Something I forgot. But he didn't forget. And when you say yes to God, you might forget, but they don't. But I did walk out with a naughty thought. Ten grand to get the top half of his body covered. And I just got mine covered for seven fifty with a sale shirt out of Madeline. Ten grand. You're gonna have a son. They said to Mary. Her and Joseph, he's like a whoof. She's getting the heave. She's getting the heave. It's all pain, confusion. And so God starts his drama, getting ready to deliver his love in a world of pain through some of the most painful moments. I want to take us to number one point. Game changers know the score. Game changers know the score. The father was the ultimate game changer. It doesn't matter how many times you've sinned, you've let him down, you don't feel good enough, other people let you down. He is on a game-changing mission to get you to believe and believe and believe like never before. The whole of the nativity is about you knowing the score. And the truth is, this is one score you can't count because his love towards you has no bounds. It is unlimited. But I'm praying that God would give each of us a revelation of the insane extent of the Father's love. I mean, really the Father's love. I mean, really unlimited. I mean, saturated. Because when that hits your headlights, <clears throat> all rejection, all pain, all offense begins to flee. You'll never find it difficult ever again to let offense go, to let pain go. To let, and te, the Bible says 10,000 might fall at one side. 10,000 may turn on you on one side. And a 1,000 might turn on you on the other side. But it won't come near your soul. 
because your soul is so convinced, so saturated, that despite how many times we've let ourselves down, others down, him down, his love towards you is insane. I use the word insane because it just doesn't make sense. It's beyond limits you cannot even begin to imagine. And if you're a person that struggles and you hold on to offense and you hold on to anger, you hold on to bitterness, like we all do sometimes, you need a revelation of true love. Because when you get a revelation of how much the Father truly loves you, it don't matter. It don't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter what the world does or says. Can we applaud the Lord Jesus Christ on that, guys? My prayer is before we go home, we get a fresh revelation of what the score is. The second point I want to mention is this. Game changers know the score, but they don't keep the score. I don't know about you. I just find it so easy. Have we got the next slide ready, Clara? I just find it so easy. No matter how many times I forgive somebody, and no matter how many times that, you know, I say sorry, this is how it works for me. I could spend a night going, oh, forgive that person, forgive that person, forgive. Truly forgive them, Lord. The next day I meet someone and they say, if you, do you know what so-and-so did? And they tell me something. And before I know I'm going, you're joking. Well, wait to tell you what they did to me. And I find myself blurting out a load of rubbish. And I went, oh, no. I'll let you miss the World Cup the night again and spend the night repenting again. <laughs> but we have to take this serious. There is no room in your soul, your spirit, your mind for keeping the score. One tiny offense is a ton too heavy for any human being. I take the whole month of November, you guys know this, to spend each night asking for doing a detox. God, find any offense. The, the beautiful story in love puts it this way. Love doesn't take offense. Now here's the deal. Our love does. But a revelation of his love, the Father's love for us, doesn't. It doesn't. And it says, keep no scores. Me and you love scores, Ruben, eh? As long as our, our team's winning, eh, Paul? Nothing better than a good score. But there's a bad score. And the Lord wants to help us today go into 2023 knowing how not to walk with anything on our offense score sheet. When I went fishing as a kid, we would use a bit of bread, 
maybe a maggot, maybe a worm. The devil's not as clever as that. His bait that he puts on his hook is offense. And when the whole world offended the Father, he gave us a master class on how not to get stung or hooked by the bait of offense. I'm so looking forward to Christmas. I'm so... I don't mind folks celebrating everything. I don't mind folks putting their tree up in the middle of July like the wife. No, no. Because truthfully, I know it gets a bit... But I'm telling you now, when you get a revelation of... There's no way you could over-celebrate. There is no way you could over-give thanks. There is no way you could go over the top in returning appreciation to the living God. Imagine if God kept one single score of one offense, just one, that we cause him. But he says this beautiful thing. One of my favorite lines in the Bible. He remembers your sins no more. You go, oh God, 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 I can't believe it. I promise you, give up smoking, and I spoke ten fags last night. In ten minutes, I was at a reefer joint, and you, I couldn't refuse. And he looks down, and he said, "As far as I'm concerned, that's the first fag you ever smoked. Because when I forgive, when you forgive, you remember." But when I forgive, I remember your sins no more. So as far as I'm concerned, this is the first fag you've ever smoked. And the third game-changing point is this. Game-changers love a penalty shout. Game-changers. Every team in the World Cup that's getting goosed are looking at the bench to see is there one game-changer. God was away ahead of the game. So Jesus is on the cross. He's come from the manger through it all. He's on the cross. Every demon in hell is at a 70s disco, like the wife last night celebrating her 70th. They're at a disco celebrating, yes! Because they thought the game was over. But they didn't know the penalty shootout was still to come. And Jesus steps up to the penalty spot and he takes out his checkbook and he writes on his checkbook, it is finished. He has paid the penalty for every single one of the offenses you caused him and each other. He's wiped the slate clean. And every single demon in hell ran down to boots the paint, the chemist to get some painkillers. Bust their heads. Bust their plan. Bust their dreams. Like Mr. Suarez sitting green like a big bubbly baron because he lost a football match. Get a flipping life. 
If you can't get a flipping life, get a wife, because she'll sort you out. The penalty shoot out. You and me are living this Christmas in the glory of the penalty shoot out. Stop paying for your past sins. Stop paying for your past regrets. Stop paying for your past mistakes. They were settled at the penalty shootout. I don't care how bad your past has been, how many regressed, today you're going home with a blank sheet of paper in your soul. And the Father's just going to write his love song all over it. And when Jesus did that, he did that so that there was no offense in you and there was space for him to enter into you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, you're the game changer. And in every room you walk into you, you have the authority, you have the power, you have the anointing, you have the possibility to love in the face of offense. As the band come up, please, I just could stay in that worship we had this morning with these beautiful vocals and sounds all day long. I just love it. I'm just an addict for good worship. But I want to finish with a story. There's a wee red-haired lassie in Aberdeen, Colmiston, I think it was in Aberdeen. And uh, she had a father who was turning on her. You know, there wasn't much work up in Aberdeen at the time. Pretty much back to that again with the oil. Anyway, another story. There wasn't much work, and the dad came up. Dad was a boozer, and any money he made making shoes, he blew in the pub. And all this wee lassie he wanted was an education. All she wanted was an education. Can you believe that? Our kids just get it. <laughs> and they didn't want to go half the time. <laughs> and that's just the nursery. But, 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 but that's all the wee lassie wanted. And even if she, she couldn't go any of those subjects, if she could just read and write. Red here, 11 year old. And dad says we're moving to Dundee. Because Dundee was beginning to boom with the mills. And he worked out. It's a broad place now, Lindsay, so just get ready for what's coming. That was Mingan then. And they arrived at their dream home and they moved into this wee apartment and it was absolutely both. The house was Mangan. The, 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 most of their neighbors were rats. I mean, real rats running about the flares. It was in a tenement block and the streets were narrow with live sewage running down the streets. But the dad had promised her, when we get down there, I'm going to make enough money and get you a house and get you an education. For one month he didn't touch a drink and then he did. He turned on his daughter. He turned on her dreams and mom was working like a slave to just get enough to feed the family. They had a bunch of kids. The oldest brother died. And the mum took the wee girl for a walk one day. 
She said, I know you got a dream to go to school. But we're broke and I'm pregnant. And I can't work. We're going to die of starvation. And the 11-year-old kid said, I'll get a job. Don't worry. I'll get a job. Talk about in the moment of pain, responding with love. Don't you worry, mom. Don't you worry, mom. Don't you worry, mom. I know dad's still drinking and he splattered his dinner and the, the, the mutton stew all over the walls last night and brought hell into her house. But don't worry, mom. I still got enough in me to respond with love. She went to work in the mills in, in Dundee. And at 11 years of age, they reckon either on her knees or on her feet, she covered the best part of 20 miles every day. Because every time the loom thread broke, she had to crawl at high speed and tie the knots from 6 in the morning to 6 at night. She'd go home with her fingers cut to bits. And uh, her mum said, I got some good news. The mill have decided an education program for children. So from now on, you work from 6 to 12, and then you go to school in the afternoon. And the next day, you go to school from 12 to 6, and in the afternoon, you work 12-hour shifts every day. And then when she became a teenager, they said, no, you have to do a 12-hour shift every day now. And at the end of a 12-hour shift, go to school. And if you fall asleep, the teacher made you stand. Not everybody in Dundee is that bad, Lindsay, so cheer up. I think these were just, anyway. So this we girl had a choice. It's like my dad's turned on me. And in the middle of this, her two wee sisters dropped dead with diphtheria in a week. And then her brother died. I, I talk to people all the time who tell me they've, got a tough, they've had a tough childhood. And when I listen, that sounds like a silver spoon in your mouth, son. I'm sorry. But that doesn't smell like a tough childhood to me. And in fact, if I'm being honest, you can't spell a tough childhood. Your brain's fried. You want to get a life and find out what a real tough childhood is. So she had a choice to be better to God, better to her father, offended by Jesus. What did she do? She made a decision to go to Nigeria and pour the love of Jesus. Be the greatest game changer, one of the greatest game changers that ever came out of Scotland to the extreme poor people of Nigeria. Her name? Raise your hand if you've heard of this lady, Mary Slessor. Guys, I know we all like we marbles and fun things for Christmas, but if you want to treat, I mean really treat yourself for Christmas, I'll put the book on, there's a bunch of them, but it's a brilliant one, I'll put it online tonight. Treat yourself to a good read this Christmas. Because what it does, I, I put myself through a lot of these books that can be quite gory, but it knocks the nonsense out of my head when I think I'm in a tough life right now. I'm in a tough moment right now.
Nothing's going right for me right now. And when I read that stuff, it's, you don't have a scooby-doo, Jimmy. What a tough life looks like. Mary Slessor, she went there. And if you allow me two minutes to finish the story, her, one of her very first jobs, she was like the judge in the community. They have a special name for it in Africa. And she's the judge between two brother-in-laws. I love this. Old school, old school sorting the problem. You, you would get jailed for it now. She's sitting doing her nothing, as a Dundee woman would. You know, she's supposed to be the judge, but she's sitting. She's got her nothing to do. She's doing her nothing, and one guy has brought his brother-in-law to court 20 times because he's due him a small fortune. And he's, the brother-in-law wouldn't pay. And uh, the brother-in-law's actually a good guy. He's an upright guy. He's just down on his luck. He doesn't have the money. But this guy bringing the charges, he beats his wife senseless, he beats his kids senseless, and he treats everybody bad. And she's to make a decision, and the people of Africa, they want to know if she gets justice. So, on the final day, she said to the brother-in-law that's due the money, well, sir, do you want the good news or the bad news? He said, give me the good, give me the bad news first. And the bad news is, you have to pay this man every penny you own. And he's sad, he says, but here's the good news. You have to give your brother-in-law a right good whipping before he leaves the court today. And if you go easy on him, I'm going to fine you. Because somebody's got to teach him how to love his wife and kids. <laughs> I mean, a bizarre, metal, wonderful story. Only Dundee could bring that wisdom, Lindsay. Brilliant. I mean... You'd get hung for it now, and I'm still trying to get my head around that story. But you know what? There's something I like about it. I don't know how Christian it is, but, but she made a decision. Could we just stand a moment, and could you just play that jukebox, Tim, a wee bit? Why, rabbit? Give us a wee bit, you know? People say, you're just using Atmo. Of course I'm using Atmo. The guy who put the stars in the skies know about Atmo. The guy who sends angels and blinding everybody knows how we hang about Atmo. Nothing wrong with a bit of Atmo. But if you're here today and you don't even think you're good enough for the Father's love, the truth is none of us are good enough, but Jesus is. And he was good enough to pay the price. I'm going to take a minute and give you a minute to seriously step into the Father's love. Let him embrace you. Let him cleanse. Let him forgive you. We're not asking you to be a holy woolly or some weird thing, but just to put your hands in the trust of this baby in the manger who came as a game changer change your game from the one of pain to the one of game so with every eye closed if you want to know what this father's love is know this Jesus even though you don't feel good enough pray this prayer with me congregation if you could all help me with this prayer Lord Jesus Christ 
I know what pain feels like. I know what rejection feels like. And maybe I've even rejected some myself. And I've had enough of my sins. And I ask you to forgive me, Lord Jesus Christ. This Christmas would be the best Christmas ever if you just came into my heart, came into my life and gave me a fresh start and gave me the ability and helped me see what true love, true love, true love of a father offended more than anyone, but he gave his best love in Jesus' name. Now with every single eye closed, if you prayed that prayer, the first time or maybe the second time, would you just quickly raise your hands? Don't worry, we're not going to bring out and embarrass you or do anything weird. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? We give thanks for three wonderful saints, God. And for everybody else in this room who's had the taste of the blood on the tip of their tongue of betrayal, of rejection, even by their own flesh and blood. This caused depression and anger and sadness. God, would you lead us to the blood on your cross this morning. Lead us to the penalty shootout. Would you lead us to the moment with a heart exploding with gratitude? And would you give us the power to make a vow that the more pain that comes my way, the more I'm going to rise up and let the world see what a flipping game changer looks like. I'm going to let the world see what a Mary Slesser looks like. I'm going to let the world see what baby King Jesus looks like. And I pray, God, as we sing this next song, with our eyes closed if possible, that you would calm down like the angel come down and give every single amazing person in this room a fresh revelation of the insane love in the Father's heart for each one. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's just keep our eyes closed for a moment. The Holy Spirit is touching people. He's healing rejection. He's healing wounds. He's removing fears. Jesus could have sat all night thinking, what did I do to cause that reaction from the one I loved, Judas? He did nothing. And there's nothing wrong with having a little look and thinking, well, did, did I spark that argument? Did I spark that? It's a good thing to look at our own souls in the window. But it's also a good thing to know the truth. And there are times where the truth is 
you did your best. You possibly could. You made mistakes, but they were not intentional. And the Father's washing guilt off people today. And if you will step back into this love, I promise you, that child, that human being, that person that turned on you will turn again. And even the kids will turn in your favor. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Ladies and gentlemen, can we put our hands together and applaud the manger baby king, Jesus Christ. Thank you, guys. Thank you.